there was a high school assembly. They brought all the kids into the bleachers in the gym, and they got military recruiters to come in and talk to them. The Army recruiter talks to them about the GI Bill. Hey, if you enroll in the Army, you can have your college paid for, and you can drive a tank, or you can shoot the artillery, and you can travel all over the world. And the Air Force recruiter gets up and says, hey, you can fly airplanes, or you can work on airplanes. And Navy recruiter says, oh, you can sail all over the world and visit all these famous and ancient cities and ports of call and sail the seven seas. And the Coast Guard recruiter gets up and says, hey, in the Coast Guard, you get to be involved in dramatic rescues and you can be a hero or maybe you'll be on an icebreaker in the Arctic or you're catching drug smugglers off the coast of Florida, trying to get the kids to be interested in signing up. And the Marine recruiter stands up at the podium in silence and just scans the crowd. I only see about six of you who could ever be a Marine. (laughs) And he turns around and walks off. And when they dismissed the kids to go to the tables to pick up information and talk to the recruiters, guess who had the longest line? (laughs) Because there is something in us that wants to know... Can I make the cut? Do I have what it takes? I want to accomplish something great and meaningful. I want to know that I have what it takes. I I want to rise to the challenge. And so, of course, he's manipulating them, but it works. Uh, Because we want to be great, we want to do big things, and we want to know if we can make the cut. There was a missionary 100 years ago from England who had a really adventurous mindset. Anybody heard of C.T. Studd before? C.T. Studd was an English missionary to China and India and Africa. Probably his most famous one-line quote maybe some of you have heard before is, some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue mission within a yard of the gate of hell. He was definitely a guy that did not settle for status quo Christianity. He didn't want to be an average Christian. He was a very adventurous guy. He was He meant what he said when he said, I want to run a mission a yard from the gate of hell. There's another quote from from one of his writings here that says, Let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. That's, That's awesome. I'm not too interested in what the devil thinks of me. I, I am interested in what God thinks of me. I want to make God smile. I want to make God proud of his son. You know, I watch epic movies like Lord of the Rings or the original Star Wars, emphasis on the original. Uh, and I want to think that I would be one who would fight the monster, who wouldn't run away. I want to do big things. I want to accomplish and I want to be fearless and so on, and, and C.T. Studd says this, you know, live your Christianity in a way that the devil is happy when you die because you have left the field of battle. Studd was, this is just an awesome last name. It is. I would love to have that last name. You'd have to call me Pastor Studd. It would just be, that would be awesome. So he really did live it. He, his dad was a very wealthy nobleman, and he got, this is in the very late 1800s, like 1880-something, His dad got saved in a Charles Spurgeon crusade, and then his dad brought the preachers into his own house to convert his two teenage sons, and C.T. was one of them. And he said, the preachers were very forceful with me and my brother. 
when they said, they preached at us for a long time, and then they said, do you believe the promises of God? And he said, and my answer did not, it did not meet with their approval. <laughs> he said, he forced me onto my knees, and I got on my knees as a, as a teenage boy. I got on my knees in the, my dad's living room, and I just said it because he made me. I said, thank you, Lord. He said, but the moment I did, my heart was completely changed, and I was flooded with love and peace, and the Bible that I could not have cared about at all before became the only thing I wanted. He, was, he went to university and played cricket, and he would have been a professional cricket player. That's some sort of English something like baseball, except you roll the ball on the ground. Anyway, he was a, something of an awesome cricketer, but he gave it all up to go be a missionary in China and India and Africa. He inherited a large inheritance from his dad when his dad died, and he gave it all away. Even though he was a missionary and needed support, he said, if God wants me to be a missionary, he will provide for me. He's just had that sort of an adventurous spirit to do large things. He gave his inheritance to Charles Spurgeon and George Mueller and the Salvation Army and uh, went off on his own without just to live in faith. Uh, He's a great guy. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Well, that's totally true. If if God died for me, then there's no no price I'm paying that's ever going to come close to paying him back. So nothing is too large for him to ask. Nothing is too great for him to ask. But he noticed that most Christians weren't like him. He wrote a book called The Chocolate Soldier. Because the chocolate soldier is the one that melts under heat. Hello? The subtitle of that book is called The Chocolate Soldier. The subtitle is Heroism is the Lost Christian Virtue. We claim to want to be heroes, but we don't want to do what it takes to be a hero. It's all nice and inspiring for him to say, yeah, I don't want to live in church. I want to run a mission a yard from hell. Yeah, well, what's that going to cost? Come on, it's really quiet in this Baptist church now. Uh-huh. I want to do big things. I want to do great things for God. I want God to smile. I want God to be pleased. I want to accomplish things for his kingdom. And like I said, I want to imagine that I'm brave and, and cool under fire and fearless under monsters and but am I really willing to do what it takes to be that kind of person I want to tell you a story this morning of a young man from our valley who is a marine I'm going to tell you his story about what it costs to be a hero what it costs to to be great And I know that six or eight of you will know who I'm talking about because you know him. I promised I would not give away any identity. So if you do figure out who I'm talking about, please don't do or say anything afterwards here to give it away. And I also want to ask for grace from those of you who are veterans because I am not. I have no military experience. My grandpa fought in the Pacific in World War II and my dad was in the Air Guard. But I, I completely admit I have no military experience. So please have grace for me if I don't say something exactly right. I have nothing but honor for you guys, but we got Vietnam and Korea and Desert Storm and Iraq and Afghanistan veterans right here in our church family. I love you guys dearly. I honor your service and thank you. And I realize I'm treading on sacred ground that I have not experienced. I'm only telling you a story that I've heard from this man's dad. So please have grace for me if I don't say everything just right. I understand you know infinitely more about this stuff than I do. But... The Apostle Paul was not a soldier, and eight times in the New Testament he uses 
a soldier as an example of what is a Christian. He talks about the armor of God twice. He calls Titus and Timothy my fellow soldiers. Uh, he refers to the Christian life as the life of a soldier, enduring hardship and so on. So Paul wasn't a soldier, and he still talked about it as a symbol or a metaphor for the Christian life. So I'm going to do the same because it's totally biblical. But I do understand that I, I don't have anything to say in the midst of those of you guys who are combat vets and, and you've lived it and done it. So just please bear with me and, and have grace for me if I mess something up. But I want to tell you this story of a boy from our valley who volunteered, signed up for the Marines, and went to basic training survived Marine basic training, became a Marine, and then he wanted to go into the reconnaissance Marines, which is the special ops guys, like the Navy SEALs and the Green Berets or Army Rangers and so on. So the recon Marines are are that, and that's what he wanted to do. Because he wants to do something more, something more specialized, infinitely more is required of our special ops guys than the guys that just go through basic training. And because the Marines are connected with the Navy, the the Marines special forces guys have to go through SEAL training. So he went to San Diego to the SEALs school, and it's a six-month-long training there for the Navy SEALs, and the Marine special forces have to go through it also. It's a first step in becoming a recon Marine. And I know that some of you would know a lot about that, and others of you may not know much at all. So this young man I'm telling you about from our valley did not sign up for the Navy SEALs. He was a Marine recon. But they have to go through this, and the Navy SEAL training is actually only one of the things that he was required to do. So at this school, it's, of course, it's every it's all surrounding water and water combat. And so there's very long swims. There's uh, teaching them scuba gear and all different types of skills, but it's also physical. And yeah, for physical fitness, but way beyond physical fitness. They are bringing them to the point of complete physical collapse to see who has the mental willpower to continue going when their body is shutting down. And so there's physical exhaustion. There's constant hypothermia because the waters in San Diego, I guess, are really cold and and they're in the water all the time. That You saw there at the beginning, the guy was having trouble figuring out what six times three was because his brain had began to shut down from, from hypothermia. Uh, this young man was drowned on purpose, as all SEAL recruits are. Because if you're going to be a Navy SEAL, a lot of your missions may be underwater with scuba gear. And if your scuba gear fails, you cannot go thrashing to the surface and... <laughs> and and compromise the mission and get all your men get killed. You have to drown and hope that the guys on your mission can get you to the beach and resuscitate you. So you have to know what it feels like to drown and you cannot be afraid of it. So everyone, as you saw in the video, is tied up and thrown in a pool until they drown. And this young man, through his dad, is telling this story. He said, I watched other guys do it. I know nobody's ever died in SEAL training doing this. They explained that as soon as we black out, they'll pull us back up out of the water, pump our chest, slap us awake, and it's all going to be okay. He said, I knew all that in my head, but when I'm underwater, he said, my brain is about to explode, my eyes are about to pop out of my head, and I cannot force myself to suck in the water. So he held his breath for however long it was, and he fought and he fought to 
to do it, but it just it, it couldn't make it happen. And finally, he passed out. And the next thing he remembers, he's on the deck of the pool, and he's they're pumping his chest, and he's coughing up water, and he's in severe pain, but he's alive. He said, but the next time, I just suck it in, and I'm gone. And the next thing I remember is I'm on the side of the pool because I wasn't afraid of it anymore because I beat this. I've done it. I'm not afraid of it. They take them to San Clemente Island off the coast of California, where this is a breeding ground for multiple species of sharks. And they tell them all about the sharks because they're intentionally trying to scare people off. They want to weed out the ones who are scared or don't have enough mental and physical willpower. So they tell them all about the sharks, and then they have to swim around this island alone because some of their missions will probably be in shark-infested waters, and they cannot be afraid to swim with sharks. So they drop them off the coast of California in a shark breeding ground. They tell them all about it. If anybody wants to quit, quit now. That's what they're trying to do is weed out the guys that don't have it. If anybody wants to quit, go ahead. If you're going to swim, you're going to swim with sharks. He said, tell them, if you uh, encounter sharks, stop swimming, pull up, tread water, let them circle around you. If one of them comes in, muster up your strength and punch them in the snout, and they'll swim away. The instructors say, as far as we remember, no seal has ever been eaten by sharks, but we're not sure we remember everybody. So they have to swim through that. There's, there's, a, there's a week called Hell Week where for six nights they're not allowed to sleep. They're up all day long, all night long for a week. And physical, of course, everything is physical. It's to push them to the point of physical and, and mental collapse, spirit, emotional collapse. Tests of hypothermia and physical endurance and so on, but it's all a mental test to see who, who can withstand it. And all of these are designed to simulate situations that might be in real combat scenarios. Because we can't have guys being scared when they get into combat. They're up for six nights without sleep. Then they'd make it even worse because at some point in there, the third or fourth night, they tell them, you guys are awesome, you're the best class ever, we're going to reward you by letting you sleep about four or five hours. And then after 10 minutes, they kick them and beat them awake. They Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Get in the water, go, go, go. Who has the mental willpower against all biology and nature and sleep cycles? Who has the mental willpower to get up and go in an impossible situation? Because that is a realistic combat scenario that you might be, you not get to sleep for two or three nights and then you might crash, but then the bullets start flying again who can get up? The SEALs have a saying that they are told by their trainers all through this six-month training that the only easy day was yesterday. If you think yesterday was hard, wait till today. It does not get easier as we go. We get harder. At one point during Hell Week, I heard a commander tell this story. They take him to the border near, down near Tijuana. There's some Tijuana mud flats, which I'm not familiar with, but there's mud flats on the beach, and they bury them up to their neck in the, in the mud that is 40-some degrees for 14 hours. And they're up to their neck. 
just their heads sticking out of the mud. And the commanders are walking over their heads saying, if five of you will quit. The guy said, when he went through it, he said, the teeth chattering and the moaning and the crying of the guys was so loud, we could hardly hear our commanders shouting at us. He said, the commanders are shouting, if five of you will give up, if five of you will quit, we'll pull everybody out. Trying to weed out the guys that don't have it. If five of you will quit, we'll let everybody out. So the, the, the recruits live by the saying, embrace the suck. Because if it don't suck, we don't do it. <laughs> I heard a Christian, former Navy SEAL, preaching. And he said this saying, the thing that, that, that he lived by is, I will die before I quit. And that's the mentality these guys have. They're just amazing. So our friend from our valley right here succeeded. He made it through Navy SEALs, Bud's school. So the, he parts ways because he's in the Marines. The Navy SEALs go all about their way to their next step of training. And then he goes to off the coast of Florida somewhere to another school that involves more water and training. And, and at one point in that training, he's taken out in a helicopter at night and dropped into the Gulf of Mexico with no GPS, no orientation. He has no idea where he's at. He was 20 miles off the coast and he has to find his way back to land. By himself, again, in shark-infested waters. I do know about sharks in the Gulf of Mexico. That's the only thing I know about. You know, you know why I know about that. Okay. Then, because the recon Marines generally work behind enemy lines, they have a higher-than-average opportunity to be taken captive, then they have to go through POW training. Because they're, they have to know how to evade capture behind enemy lines, and they have to know how to handle torture if they are caught. So we have, our military has a POW camp in the southwest United States somewhere that we have set up to be like an Iraqi or Afghan camp run by the Taliban or whatever. And uh, it is, they make it as realistic as legally possible, I guess. So they were blindfolded and put in a truck and dropped off in the desert somewhere in the southwest U.S. And they, they, they were told, you can try to evade capture if you want, but... You won't uh, escape. You will be captured. No one has ever escaped. But if you were to evade capture, and this is a live fire event, real tanks shooting, real guns shooting, not trying to kill anybody, but just it's realistic. If you were to evade capture, there's food and water cached around the base. But uh, no one ever has. But if you were to evade capture, and I, I don't forgive me for not knowing the exact numbers, but I think this training lasted a week or 10 days. And so after three or four days of evading capture, you have to turn yourself in at the camp because you have to go through this experience. They said, you will be captured. You will not evade capture. But if you do, you have to turn yourself in so that you can actually go through the POW experience. So this young man from our valley is dumped off the truck, blindfolds removed immediately over the hills as the tanks and the machine guns and Within just brief minutes, the majority of the guys are captured, but he is not. He's one of a handful of guys that gets away and gets off into the scrub of whatever, you know, whatever desert mountains they're in or something. And so he and the guys who escape are hiding, and there's helicopters flying over. There's men going through the woods looking for him. This is all our military, but the, the trainers are all speaking Russian, so the guys don't even hear English. And it's just an immersive experience like they're, like they're behind enemy lines in a foreign country being hunted. He said they did find food and water. 
but he learned that he needed to hide until somebody else tried for it because sometimes when they'd go for the food or water, it was being watched and they'd get caught. But sometimes somebody would go out and get the food or water and, and they wouldn't get caught, so then he would go and he knew which, was, which of the caches was safe and which was being watched. He evaded capture for the entire maximum amount, even though they told him before it, that nobody ever had. He did, so he had to walk into the POW camp and surrender. Now that he has a shorter time period to get all of the different trainings done, he was subjected to noise, sensory deprivation, constant light so that he was disoriented to know what day it was or what time of day it was. He was buried in a box in the ground. He was waterboarded. Uh, this is by our own troops, tre- teaching him what it's like to be a POW. He was interrogated, again, as the interrogators speaking Russian and so on. He said that the women were segregated off into a building where they were screaming like they were being raped, which, of course, isn't happening because that would be illegal, but that would happen in a real POW situation. And he said it was so immersive of an experience that just within hours you totally forgot that this was not real. So he's being waterboarded, which is a water hose in your mouth where you can't breathe, and then they pull it away and you gasp for breath and they shove it back in and trying to torture people into giving information. And he survived all of this and then afterward, after this whatever it is, seven to ten day experience or something like that, then they're all debriefed and they go through and they tell them what they did right and what they did wrong and what they should do and it's real and, and so on. And with him, he, they told him he passed because when he was being waterboarded and he's on the point of just complete physical, mental collapse, the information he did give was a lie. It was false. He did not betray the mission. He did not betray the information that he was supposed to not give up. But then they asked him, they said, listen, there have been a couple of guys evade capture, but only a handful. It never happens. How did you evade capture? He says, I'm from Northeast Oregon. Grew up, grew up in the mountains. This is what I do. Then he was initiated into the recon marines, and he was on a special unit in Iraq that was actually mounted on dirt bikes, and they did dirt bike reconnaissance, real fast and quick missions in and out, um, was behind enemy lines. He, he would never know this in the news, of course, because they don't release such information, but do you remember the name Jessica Lynch, uh, a girl that was held hostage by the Iraqis in the beginning days of... Uh, maybe 2002 or three, he was in on her rescue mission. He was one of the guys that went in uh, to the hospital to rescue her. You don't send average troops into that dangerous of a situation. This is why our military puts our people through this ahead of time. I just want to point out here that our Military trainers and officers and programs are not doing these to these people because they're sadistic, because they like tormenting. I'm sure those of you who've been through trainings think that that's true. Your drill sergeant just hates you and likes is having fun with you. But we're doing it to equip these guys not only to survive but to win. The training has to be so difficult that when they face the real enemy, they're not afraid Because I've been through worse. Hello? I'm not afraid of this. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to freeze up and not be able to think or make decisions or take action. Because this isn't as bad as hell week. 
If I miss three nights of sleep, that's still half what my trainers put me through. I've done this before. We got it. If equipment malfunctions and I start to drown, I'm not going to panic and compromise and get everybody killed. I just perform my duty and trust my guys to save me. We're not doing this because of anything other than equipping our people to not only survive, but to win. 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him for whom he fights. Paul tells us, God tells us, endure hardship as a good soldier. Embrace the suck. Embrace the suck. The only easy day was yesterday. I'm here to tell you this morning that God is going to drown you. He is going to kill your sin nature. And not only is he going to do it, he wants to do it, and he has fun doing it. (laughs) Paul said, I die daily. So I'm not talking about physical death. God is not going to physically kill us. I'm talking about, Paul said, I die daily. I'm talking about us dying to ourselves, to our own desires and our own will. And God says, just suck it in and die. And I promise you there'll be life on the other side. Jesus going to the cross and being buried and resurrected is the big scope picture of all that. But on little daily decisions, I don't want to keep my mouth shut. God says, die to that. Shut your mouth. I promise you I will bring life on the other side. I promise you I will haul you out of that and I will resuscitate you. But just for now, just die. Keep your mouth shut. Suck it in and die. Hello? And the first time is terrifying. No, I need to speak up. They need to know what I have to say. I have to fight back. And you know God doesn't want you to. And you're like, and you fight it and you fight it. Just hold your mouth shut till you pass out. Just hold your mouth shut till you pass out. But the more you do it, the easier it will be and the more automatic and fearless it gets. Oh, I've done this before. I know how to control my temper. I can do this. I know how to keep it mouth shut when somebody's really mad at me. I won't fight back. Hello? First time you try to resist your lust or your anger or your addiction or whatever it may be, and you're like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm going to die. And God says, yeah, you are. I'll haul you out, and I'll breathe life back into you. Nothing truly bad will happen to you. But we fight it, we fight it, we fight it, we resist, resist, resist. And finally we give in, and we're like, oh, yeah, hi, God, there you are. Right here. Blowing your breath right back in my face. I'm, yeah, okay. And the next time is like, huh, I did this before. I beat my temper before. I can do it again. I beat that addiction. I beat my mouth. Just suck it in and die. God is trying to drown you, and he's having fun. He is going to kill your flesh. Come on. And it isn't because he doesn't love you. It will be very, very painful and very, very scary. But it is to make you fearless. It is to make you who he made you to be. To prove to you, you can do this. You are so much more than you know. Come on. So die to offense. Die to your pride. Die to your anger. Die to your desires. Be the pacemaker. Be the quiet one. Or if everybody else is chickening out, be the one to speak up. 
and say what needs to be said. No, God, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. Die. I will resurrect you on the other side. Nothing bad will happen. Okay. And you dive in and just suck it in and out you go. The next thing you know is God's face is right here. Smiling big. Ha! Brought you back. See? It's okay. You didn't have to be afraid. Stop fighting for your way. Just give in and die. Suck it in and trust him. He'll be there on the other side. Accept it. God is going to drop you into shark-infested waters. He's going to do it. He's going to surround you with dangerous people who bite. And then we cry about it and we scream, God, save me! No. Pull up and punch him in the nose. Deal with it yourself. You know I don't mean physically. Although sometimes that may be, need to be what happens. Seriously, God will throw you into Shark Tank. So that you're not afraid of mean people who bite. Huh, I got this. I can do it. I don't need to be afraid. I am safe. Hello? God is going to bring you at some point in your life into a season where he will bury you in a box in the ground. And it will be claustrophobic and terrifying, completely dark, and you will, everybody will have forgotten you. And God, I feel like I'm just buried alive. And I have... I'm absolutely terrified. What is going on? I see nothing but darkness. And God says, it's just a test. It's just a season. Learn to be calm. And don't panic. There are times when God will lead you into disorienting times. You won't know what time it is and what day it is and which way is up. Are you going to be faithful? He is going to hurt your flesh. He is going to kill your flesh. Well, Mitch, why would God do this? Because he loves you. That is love. It is not love for God to allow us to live in our limitations and our excuses and our fear. It is because he loves us, because he believes in us, because we're on the same team. No, God, this is what the enemy does. Yeah, I'm I'm recreating the enemy's scenarios so that when you actually meet him, you won't be afraid of him. Come on! He's preparing you for the battle of your lifetime. When you engage the enemy, you will not just survive, you will win. And you will not quit. You will not panic and run and give up. You will fight and win. Because when you're actually engaging the enemy, you look back and go, oh, God's put me through worse. <laughs> Come on! Nothing the devil throws at you will phase you because God has already put you through it. You will be fearless. fearless. Don't listen to any preacher or any fellow Christian that tells you God won't hurt you because nothing is ever accomplished except through pain. Nothing good or great is ever accomplished except through pain. 1 Timothy 4 says, Exercise yourself toward godliness, for physical training profits a little, but training in godliness is profitable for all things, having value in this life and in eternity. So we both labor and suffer because we trust in God. Paul says, Exercise your spirit like you exercise your body. That physical exercise has a little bit of value, but exercising your soul, your spirit, has eternal value, life in, value in this life and value in eternity. 
Paul says, exercise your faith, your spirit, like we exercise our body. So I labor and suffer. Is physical exercise not labor and suffering? I mean, not on the scale of what we're talking about in the military, but it is pain. And you don't get anywhere with your body unless you put it intentionally in pain. That's, we call it exercise. It's good. It's healthy. It's right. And Paul says, exercise your heart the same way. Put your faith through labor and suffering. Because that is what strengthens your heart, just like exercise strengthens your heart. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only in one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul is talking about his spirit, but he uses an athlete as the, or the example or the metaphor or the symbol for what is going on. He said, an athlete is disciplined in his body and everything. What you eat and forcing yourself to exercise and practice and run through drills and whatever, so that you can do what it is you want to do. I, in my spirit, I am living for eternity, and I am not just haphazardly, randomly fighting. I discipline myself like an athlete disciplines his or her body. I'm here to tell you this morning that God is not just your drill sergeant. God is your personal trainer. He is your coach, and he's giving you lots of opportunities to exercise. But it hurts. Well, all exercise does. If you are improving, he's giving you lots of opportunities to exercise. He's pushing. He's demanding. He's offending you. He's getting you way past what you think you can do on your own. You know, coaches are not paid to accept their players' excuses. You don't go down here to the gym and pay a personal trainer to listen to your excuses and your laziness. You pay them to get in your face, to push you beyond what you would do yourself. If I'm going to pay a personal trainer over here, 50 or or $100 a month or whatever it is, that person is not going to say, oh, yeah, okay, Mitch, yeah, you're too tired to exercise today? Well, that's fine. We'll see you on Thursday. We'll try it again. Oh, Mitch, you only can do five crunches today? Well, that's perfect. Let's go over here and see if you can do three push-ups. No. We pay the personal trainer to shout at us. Come on, push it, push it, push it. Dig deep, dig deep. You got this. Go, 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 go. Oh, yeah. You knew you could do it. Yeah. Come on. We pay them to offend us. To push us past what we think we can do to make us hurt. Because I don't want to make me hurt. But the coach does. I remember being very angry with my football coaches for what they would make us do. I was exhausted and I didn't want to move anymore. But the coach thinks practice is going to last another hour. Like, What is he thinking? <laughs> Personal trainer is not okay with 10 pull-ups. Let's do 30. I can't do 30. Yes, you can. I believe in you. You can do it. Come on. God is your personal trainer. 
If God has not made you mad, you are not walking with God. Come on. If, if your God has never made you mad, you are your own God. Because you're just perfectly accepting your own excuses and limitations and laziness. The real God does not accept any of that. The real Jesus is not the Sunday school poster of the shepherd holding a lamb in his flowery pasture. No, the real Jesus was continually getting frustrated with his disciples because they were cowards. Come on, guys. You feed these thousands of people. What? I understand the apostles more than I understand Jesus. Because I know why they would be afraid. You want us to walk on water? Where's your faith, Peter? I know where it is. (laughs) I don't have faith to walk in water either, Jesus. Well, come on. Embrace the suck. Let's go. Hello. God is our personal trainer. You don't pay this trainer to coddle you. You pay the trainer to get in your face, to yell at you, to push you, to believe in you, to cheer you on, not for what you can already do, but for what you're improving in. You pay a personal trainer to offend you and cause you pain. Am I right? It's what coaches do. I'm going to push you beyond what you would ever push yourself, and I'll prove to you that you can do it. And that is love. You know, the best coaches and teachers and drill sergeants and pastors are the ones that drive you, that push you, that offend you. The coach you had that didn't care about you, didn't invest in you, let you be lazy, let you have your excuses, not show up to practice this day or that. Didn't make you into a good player either. I saw an interview, a television interview with a former Navy SEAL who is now a personal trainer. I don't know if he got this philosophy from the SEALs or from his own exercise. He rides his bike two, he rides his bike 250 miles a week and he runs 150 miles a week. He said, when you are at the point of complete physical collapse, like you cannot stand up and you're crawling, you have worked your body so hard. And you think, I'm going to die. I have nothing left. He said, you are only at 40%. You're not even halfway done with your reserves. He said, you are only at 40%. You can do so much more than you think. God made us. He knows what we're made of. And he takes great pleasure in destroying our self-imposed boundaries of fear or selfishness but it is extremely painful to love somebody I am tired of loving God I do not want to forgive again I am tired of serving I want to be lazy and God says suck it up you're not even half done You can forgive again. You can continue to love. You can defeat this thing. You can keep serving. That's love. Your complaining does not move God. Your tiredness does not move God. Your excuses do not move God. God, I'm tired of forgiving. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of loving in this difficult person. I want to give up on my marriage. I want to give up on my kids. I want to give up on my parents. I don't, I'm tired of this ministry. I, I just want to quit. I've given enough already. I've given everything I've got. I'm done. I'm tired of hurting. It hurts too bad. I quit. God says, get up. You're not even half done. 
Like I said, if you haven't been angry with God, you're not walking with God. If God doesn't cause you pain, then he is not your father and he is not your savior. Because Hebrews 12 says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That verse says, When you get tired and want to quit, remember Jesus. Because in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. You're not bleeding. Embrace the suck. Some days in our Christian faith are green pastures and rainbows and little lambs. Other days are bullets flying and filth and mud and accusation and lies and exhaustion and ugly, ugly stuff. God says, do not quit. This is a live fire exercise. Keep going. Yes? In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. That would also apply to daughters. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This verse says, God is causing you pain on purpose to train you, not to kill you, ultimately, not to do you any eternal damage, but to create who he made you to be, to create holiness and peace and righteousness. The goal of military training is strength. It is peace. It is calm in the midst of flying bullets and explosions and blood. I have to keep a cool head. I have to know what to do, and I have to do it well. Peace, that's peace. The goal of military training is automatic response. It is speed, it is survival, it is to break all mental barriers of fear and limitation to create fearless soldiers who succeed. We're not just trying to survive this life. The people in the world are trying that too. We're supposed to succeed. We're supposed to win, not just survive. I heard a speech from the commander of the Navy SEALs. He spoke at a commencement at the University of Texas several years ago, and he said this as a quote, SEAL training officers seek to identify the weak of mind and body and eliminate them from ever becoming a SEAL. But they are also seeking those students who can lead in an environment of constant stress and chaos and failure and hardships. It's the same thing God is looking for. The goal of God's training, this verse says, is holiness. It's peace. And again, sometimes peace looks like I'm a little lamb in the pasture. But peace also is when my life all of a sudden goes to hell in a handbasket, I don't panic and run away and shut down. I still do the right thing. When somebody is lying about me or... I'm facing horrible situations. I don't respond in the flesh. I respond in the spirit. 
I'm not saying I do this correctly. I'm saying this is our goal. It's the goal of God's training. Is peace and righteousness and holiness, success, faith, obedience, purity, authority, wisdom, power, fearlessness. God is seeking to weed out cowards and quitters. And he's also looking to find those who can lead with faith in an environment of constant stress and chaos and failure and hardships. The same thing the SEAL commanders are looking for. James 1, 2-4 says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's absolutely nothing unloving or sadistic about God. Everything he does has a good purpose. But a lot of it really, really hurts. Embrace the suck. What is he doing? He's trying to perfect you. He's not tormenting you. He's not torturing you for fun. He's not a mean God in any way. But he will put you through some really, really hard situations. People who are impossible to love. Things that are very difficult to forgive. Times when it is terrifying, times when it is infuriating. And he says, I am making you perfect. Don't quit. Satan will come along and say, if you'll just quit, you'll get out of the mud. I'll give you a nice long hot bath and everything will be easy and comfortable. God says, no, we're going to sit here in the mud for 14 hours. Okay, God, I trust you. You're my king. You're my commander. First Peter 1 says, Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong though, through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. God is bringing the gold out in you. It certainly does not feel like that very many days, but it is what he is doing. God, I embrace the suck. A.W. Tozer said in his book, The Root of Righteousness, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Scripture says that Jesus only inherited the throne of heaven because he went to the cross. He is worthy of the praises of angels and men because he is the lamb who was slain. If that's how he treats his own son, you and I might have some things to go through, and it's okay. He hasn't abandoned us. He doesn't not love us. He's training you to save your life and to make you win. He's setting you up to sit on the throne of heaven. St. Teresa in the Middle Ages wrote, God, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few of them. (laughs) And I know there's days we feel like that. But just like the Navy SEALs that make it through and they graduate that training and they put on their uniform and they ring the bell and they shout and they're excited and they've met their goal, we have a goal. Do you really want it? Do you really want to run a mission a yard from the gate of hell? Do you really want to accomplish something meaningful and great? This is what it costs. You can be an average lazy Christian. You will end up in heaven you have nothing to show for your life. Or you can let God bring the fire and bring out the gold in you. 
the whole world goes through fire. People in the world go through problems. I'm not saying that the fact that you have problems makes you a good person. In your problems, are you responding like Jesus? As Jacob Simonis would say, are you staying in the chair? Or are you getting off in your flesh? That's nothing new to have problems. Everybody has problems. And the world is just trying to survive. We're not trying to survive. We're trying to become like Jesus. That's the goal. Faith and virtue are the only superpowers you will ever have. And that is what God is trying to create in you. Great faith and great character. That is what he cares about. In Ephesians 6, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness, Put on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Here's one of the eight passages where Paul uses a soldier as an example of what it is to be a Christian. And he uses the Roman soldiers of his day, put on this armor of God and go fight your Fight your battle. But our battle is not against other people. Hello. Our battle is not against people. There will be people who will oppose us, and we will be arguing and contending with them, but our real battle is in the Spirit. Our real battle is the sin in our own heart that wants to rise up and bring offense and unforgiveness and hatred and accusation and all the stuff that they bring against us. But our real battle is our own heart. I'm going to respond like Jesus. When I'm accused, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. When there's people oppressing, I'm going to love them, and I'm going to love the oppressed, and I'm going to speak out against the Pharisees. Hello? Hebrews 10 says, If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. God says, If you draw back, I do not have any pleasure in you. And the scripture says, We are not those who draw back. We may be up to our necks in mud, but we're not quitting. I know this isn't everyday description of every day of your Christian life and your walk of faith. Sometimes there's wonderful, glorious days. There's a lot of days you're up to your neck in mud. And the devil says, just give up. Just quit. Just let loose on God and let him have it. This is too much. You're right. You should be offended. God is unrealistic. He has way too high standards for you. You're about to die and he's unaware. Why don't you just curse God? And I'll give you a hot bath. We are not those who draw back. We are those who go forward. 2 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5 says, We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and your faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you qualified for his kingdom for which you are suffering. God is qualifying you for his kingdom. I said God is qualifying you for his kingdom. You don't get to be in the special ops without qualifying. God is qualifying you to inherit his kingdom, to be rulers, governors, and kings in his authority, in his name, in his kingdom. He is qualifying you. He will bring justice for whatever you are suffering, but for now, we endure whatever hardship comes. If it doesn't suck, we don't do it. 
He is qualifying us. I know there's days you want to give up, you want to quit. I can't do this anymore. I can't love this person anymore. I have got to quit. God, your expectations are too high. It hurts too bad. I don't have it in me. I don't know what to do. Whatever your thoughts and whatever the devil wants to tempt you to do, we are not those who draw back. We are those who will be qualified. You don't have any more love, you love anyway. You love the unlovable, you forgive the unforgivable. You don't have any money, you give anyway. You're already busy, you volunteer anyway. You wanna, you're tired and you want to break, serve anyway. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Paul says, we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faith. You need to know that, I've told you this before, it's true. When other pastors complain about what's going on in their churches, I brag about you all. I really do. Paul says over and over in scripture, don't let my boasting be in vain. Live up to my bragging. You guys are special ops Christians. I see it. Your smile, I see you're nodding. You, you, you believe it. You're nodding it. Yes, we can do this. We can keep going. We can keep fighting the fight. I don't have to give up. I can love some more. I can forgive some more. I can serve some more. Let's do it. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for believing in us enough to blow past our excuses and our laziness, our flesh, and our limitations. You are the one who made us, not we ourselves. So you know what we are made of, and you know that we're not even halfway done. Forgive us for drawing back in fear, for getting lazy, for making excuses, for getting tired of obeying. Lord, the devil put that temptation right in front of us. If, you'll just, if you just quit, I'll make it easy. And we charged you with being unfair, and we were offended with you that you allowed us to go through that thing. We will not give up. We will contend for our healing. We will contend for our unsaved loved ones. We will continue to fight addiction and bad habits and our temper and our mouth. We will let you drown our flesh. We will trust you that you will be there right on the other side, bringing us back to life. That nothing truly bad or truly painful will happen. We just have to blow through our fear. We trust you, no matter where your training takes us. We will not fear darkness. We will not fear sharks. We will not fear the pool. Because we know that whatever you have to teach us, we want. So we will be bold to serve and to love and to forgive and to preach. To speak up. Lord, if you be God and you died for us, then no sacrifice is too great. No cost is too great for us to give for you. We don't want to be average Christians who are good but lazy people and aren't really serving you or giving anything. We want to run your missions. Whatever it is you have called for us to do, we want to run that mission with boldness, with bravery, with fearlessness. We trust that wherever you take us and whatever you bring into our lives, you will teach us and equip us to destroy the works of the devil, to bring life, to bring healing, 
to bring freedom because that's what you've done in us. Jesus, we trust you. You're a good king. You are a good leader. You're a good commander. You went to hell for us and we would follow you there if that's where you're going. Whatever situation you have for us to face, we know that you will make us victorious. We will not quit. We will win. Because you are with us, we fear nothing. Lord, I pray that you would make this confession true. I know we are saying bigger things than we know, but it's still true. We trust you. We are safe with you. We are at peace with you. We will not quit. We will not draw back. We will fight forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have fun with your training this week. God bless you all. Have a great week.